Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christian men who want to hear well done from Jesus after running the race marked out for them. No man walks down his wedding aisle expecting his marriage to fail, but many do. And most divorces are instigated by unhappy wives. This episode looks at what we can learn from God's design of marriage that can help our current or future marriage thrive. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 31 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. As we consider the hardwiring of the masculine heart, we come to the masculine hunger for sex. Author Archibald Hart describes the common male experience. He writes, For many men, the sex drive feels like a volcano. Explosive and unpredictable, it continues to burn deep down in the groin, even when there is no reason for it. It may be dormant for a while, only grumbling occasionally, but it awakens sooner or later, and when it erupts, it can lay waste to everything in its path, including honor, reputation, families, virginity, fidelity, chastity, good intentions, lifelong promises, and spiritual commitments. Now, it's God who designed into men this urgent, powerful sex drive that dominates the mind and body of every healthy male. Let's put the intense male hunger for sex in the context of our study of the passions that drive men. The last two weeks, we've been studying Genesis 2. God placed Adam in the garden to work it and protect it. God builds Adam with a powerful drive to work the garden, to be chemically rewarded with pleasure when he succeeds, when he takes the mountain, when he wins, when he gets the job done, when he achieves. In fact, work success brings not only inherent pleasure, but the additional intoxicating rewards of status, respect, and money. Rewards that will keep a lot of men working well past quitting time. Now, Genesis 2 continues with God's design of Adam's partner, Eve. But God knows something about Adam's heart. He is going to find great pleasure in his work, in his vocation, in reaching his goals. So God says to himself, this is the Yegel translation, If I'm going to give Adam a partner that he won't neglect... I better invent some kind of powerful force that is going to keep Adam looking toward her, wanting to stay connected to her. And so God invented sex. My wife Sandy and I put it this way in a book we wrote. It seems that God has put enough testosterone into the male body to offset a man's natural independence. He is biologically driven to his wife for sex every few days. Her inviting response and surrender to his sexual advances builds his self-esteem and makes him feel wanted. Sexual union brings back his feelings of love for his sweetheart, helping him to stay more focused on meeting her need for spiritual and emotional intimacy. That's from our booklet, Intimacy, God's Design for Marriage. We men don't even realize we have emotional needs, much less how much Our emotional needs are met by our wife welcoming our advances, opening herself up to us, and surrounding us with her warmth and nurture 
in lovemaking. All we feel is, I want more of her. Yet, God designs into us the powerful sexual appetite that drives us into her arms, where the deepest of our emotional needs to be wanted, to be accepted, to be valued, are met. Her nurture fills our tank, giving us motivation to die to ourselves, protect her, and make the sacrifices needed to love her well. Well, let's dig out some insight, maybe just a review for you, or maybe new, some insights about God's fabulous design of this sexual partnership. We read in Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Man is the word ish, woman is the word isha, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This creation story begins with the problem of Adam's aloneness and ends with the perfect solution to that aloneness, the pleasure of being fully known, being naked, and unashamed. Let's make some observations. Observation number one, Adam is inadequate by himself. He needs Eve to complete him. Verse 18 says, I will make a helper fit for him. The word helper, easer in Hebrew, as I pointed out in another podcast, means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking. Its focus is on competence. It has no connotation of inferiority. Since God himself is called our easer numerous times in Scripture, the word fit for means matching him. This expression is not the same as like him. A wife is not her husband's clone, but complements or completes him. What about an application for this idea? Well, when my wife's weaknesses make my life more difficult, I need the humility to remember how much I need her strengths. God is the one, after all, who gave her to me to cover my weaknesses. For example, many husbands whose love language causes them to naturally praise and affirm, to see the half of the glass that's full, are given a mate who's the opposite, who is great with discernment, who sees the half of the glass that's empty, the things that aren't right. And these are things that her husband doesn't notice. And he needs to. It's hard to not be loved in your love language, encouragement. But her role is to provide what I lack. Knowing I need her helps me endure the neglect of my encouragement needs and translates into respecting her ideas also. 
One Christian counselor writes, Respect your wife's opinion. When she is expressing her opinion, love her by listening. Validate what she says with comments such as, That's a good idea. You did a good job in a hard situation. Tell me more. I need to understand. Or, I wish I could have thought of that. When your wife says things that you may disagree with, before trying to straighten her out or fix her thinking, express your unconditional love by being willing to hear her out and ask questions. That kind of acceptance and understanding will allow her to process her thoughts, unload her anxiety, and respond positively to your response from the five love needs of men and women. Back to Genesis 2, observation number 2, verses 19 through 20, the process of observing the animals and naming them seems designed to cause Adam to be in a position to appreciate Eve. Adam would have noticed that each male animal had a female mate. Even though we say a dog is a man's best friend, the process resulted in the recognition, quote unquote, for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The solution to Adam's aloneness was not a pet or another man as a buddy. It would be woman. It is striking to me that God took Adam through this process. I think he knew that one of the biggest failures of husbands would be taking their wives for granted. Max Lucado shows how the agent of familiarity can cool our passion to love our wives well. He writes, The agent of familiarity's commission from the black throne room is clear and fatal. Take nothing from your victim. Cause him only to take everything for granted. He, this agent of familiarity, is an expert at robbing the sparkle and replacing it with the drab. He invented the yawn and put the hum in humdrum. And his strategy is deceptive. He'll replace evening gowns with bathrobes, nights on the town with evenings in the recliner, and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. The poison of the ordinary has deadened your senses to the magic of the moment. By way of application, out of your heart of appreciation for her will come words that assure her of her value. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-nine. Here again are some examples. The way you manage stuff around here is awesome. Thanks for loving me. I'm not always the easiest person to love. I know you feel like you're a mess, but you never look bad to me. You make that outfit look great. It wouldn't look as great on anyone else. That combination of jewelry is perfect. It brings out your natural beauty. Those extra pounds don't make you any less beautiful to me. God wanted Adam to appreciate Eve. Observation number three, the fact that every other creature, including Adam, was made from the dust of the ground, but Eve was made from Adam's rib, is loaded with significance. No one has said it better than the Puritan commentator Matthew Henry. He says this, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him. 
under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. The Apostle Paul picks up on this striking reality that Eve is made from Adam's own body in his admonition to husbands. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Application. Men pay constant attention to their bodies. When my body aches, I groan. When my body is hungry, I eat. When my body is tired, I rest. When my body craves sexual release, I pursue my woman. When my body is wounded, I care for the wound. When my body is sleepy, I nod off. We are so united to our bodies that we cannot ignore them for long. They get our continual attention. So it should be with our wives. We are to pay constant attention to them because they are so much a part of us. When we take care of our bodies, it is also to our own benefit. Surely Paul's statement that to love our wife is to love ourselves recognizes that our wife's welfare has a direct impact on us. To pay constant attention to her and be attentive to her needs will lead to a more fulfilled wife and be an enormous benefit, therefore, to husbands as well. Observation number four in Genesis 2, verse 23, Adam is the one to name Eve, which indicates his headship in the marriage relationship. Eve is created for Adam, not Adam for Eve. Paul picks up on these two truths in the New Testament to explain the role of men as leaders in the home and the church. This leadership design is the result of creation, not a result of the fall. The fall, however, makes it easy to relinquish this leadership responsibility for our homes because leading often results in conflict with our wives. We see this tension predicted in the curse upon Eve. In Genesis 3.6, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There are textual reasons for understanding the word for desire to mean the desire to control. The ongoing result of Adam and Eve's original sin of rebellion against God is first that Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in the marriage. And second, Adam will abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. How does this text apply to you and me? Well, at times, the sinful nature of even a godly wife will cause her to resist or resent her husband's authority. Our own selfishness can also sabotage our leadership. But we can't surrender to the cowardly impulse to relinquish our responsibility as the head of our homes. Observation number five in verses 24 through 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is given as the one safe arena where man and woman can be fully naked, 
body, soul, and spirit, laid bare and vulnerable to one another, but still being unconditionally loved instead of shamed. The goal of marriage is experiencing this intimacy, which happens through the joining of lives, that is our soul, our mind, will, and emotion. We share what's on our mind, we share our feelings, we make decisions together, and the joining of our bodies in sexual union. But sin has polluted God's design for this sexual partnership. Sexual pleasure is separated from its designed context, which is the emotional, relational, trusting intimacy that grows in the security of the lifelong commitment of marriage. Mike Mason reminds us to be naked with another is a sort of picture or symbolic demonstration of perfect honesty, perfect trust, perfect giving, and commitment. And if the heart is not naked along with the body, then the whole action becomes a lie and a mockery. But sin has also polluted God's design for sexual union this way. Sexual release is such explosive pleasure that married men can look to porn and masturbate when it's just too much work to get their wife interested in sex or too much work meeting her emotional need for intimacy so she is interested in sex. The self-centeredness of sin also causes married partners to focus on their own intimacy needs instead of their mate's intimacy needs. Here are some enlightening statistics. One study found that 83% of women feel that their husbands don't even know the basic needs of a woman for oneness or how to provide intimacy for them. A large majority of female divorcees say that their married years were the loneliest years of their lives. Another study found that two-thirds of married men complained of insufficient sex because their partner wasn't ready, which means interested. And when a survey of men were asked, do you feel that women understand a man's sex drive, 83%, interestingly, the same percentage, answered no. The solution to this frequent intimacy misconnect in marriage is a commitment to both emotional and sexual intimacy, which is exactly what Genesis 2, 24 through 25 describes marriage as being. Joining of lives, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the joining of the bodies in sex, and the two shall become one flesh. So let's look at these two. First, the emotional intimacy God intends for marriage, which happens through pursuing conversation, which leads to oneness of souls. Barbara Rosberg writes, the word intimacy comes from a Latin word that means innermost. What this translates into for those of us in the marriage relationship is a vulnerable sharing of our inner thoughts, feelings, spirit, and true self. Both men and women need to feel secure in this sharing and confident of their spouse's support. This support is achieved through listening, empathy, prayer, and reassurance. And then, secondly, the intimacy God intends for marriage also happens through pursuing lovemaking, which leads to oneness of bodies. Lovemaking is the most practical, binding, and enriching experience of all of married love, writes Ann Ortland, one pastor's wife. 
there is one person who knows you and wants to know you more and better than anyone but God. And that's why God gave you sex, to interact at the deepest possible human levels. Your sex life as a married couple will make your self-esteem go up or down. So the biblical design for loving intimacy in marriage means actively pursuing both oneness of soul and oneness of body. Biblically, the human body is not considered inferior to the soul. Both the soul and body are redeemed. Joining bodies in sex without joining lives in marriage is condemned, as we all know, as being wrong, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. But joining lives in marriage without joining bodies in sex is also condemned as wrong, 1 Corinthians 7.5. In celebrating communion, we physically partake of bread and wine, which points to our heart feasting spiritually on Christ's love. Similarly, sexual union is the physical celebration of the couple's spiritual oneness of heart. By the way, if our wife's heart is distant, not feeling emotionally one with us, why would she want to celebrate sexually? Emotional intimacy with her husband is the biggest need of a wife's heart, usually. When she walked down the wedding aisle, her dream was to dance through life holding hands with her husband and best friend with one who knows everything going on in her heart, but loves her anyway, and throwing in a little romance for good measure. Loving her well means generating conversations that help her safely share her heart with you, and it means taking the risk of revealing your heart to her. Well, about now, I feel like I teach this stuff, and I am failing at just about every one of these applications, except pursuing lovemaking. I like that part. These practical ideas for loving your woman based on God's design of romance set the bar high. But that's because Jesus set the bar impossibly high. We're to love our brides with the same level of unconditional self-giving, sacrificial love that he gives to us every day. Honestly, if you're like me, such a high standard can make us despair of even trying. The answer to such despair, however, is not to lower the bar. But to say to Jesus, Jesus, I can't love my wife this way without your massive help. Loving with Jesus kind of love only happens through his power. Asking for his help every day to love her well is exactly where he wants you to be. In your weakness, says Jesus, my power is shown the more completely. Paul's response was, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you feel like you fail more as a husband than you succeed? Then join the club. We all need Jesus to live out his agape love through us, through his spirit at work, in us, giving us his power. summarize this episode, when engulfed in the flames of romance, we who are married feel like we can't live without our woman. But when the storm strikes, we feel like we can't make our relationship work with our woman. Five observations can help us fulfill the romance God designed us to have. Number one, we need to recognize and verbalize to her that we need her and her opinions. Number two, we ought to be sobered by the trouble that God went to in order to make Adam appreciate Eve and guard against taking our wives for granted. 
Number three, when we realize Eve was made from Adam's rib, we must validate our wife's continual desire to be near us and treat her the way we treat our own bodies, paying constant attention to her. Number four, in a fallen world, we must expect our own self-centeredness and our wife's resistance to our authority to make leading our homes difficult, yet not abdicate our responsibility. Number five, the answer to Adam's loneliness was pursuing both the conversation leading to the intimacy of soul and to pursue lovemaking leading to intimacy of body, celebrating the experience of being naked and not afraid because we are fully accepted and loved. We need to constantly be on guard against separating sexual pleasure from the context of full emotional engagement with our wives. For further prayerful thought, number one, what insight from this Genesis 2 verses 18 through 25 passage stood out most to you? Why? See your show notes for additional questions. This week's past podcast highlight is the series Ruling Our Sexuality for God's Glory, Season 1, Episodes 12 through 15, which includes the messages, Understanding Our Sex Drive Helps Us Fight for Purity, and Directing Our Heart Passions to Defeat Lust. Next week, we continue our series, Understanding the Masculine Heart. We've seen that the masculine heart is designed to need a king to honor, a sphere of life to impact, a battle to fight, a beauty to love. He also needs a brother to fight beside. This episode explains how busy men can make strategic decisions in their lives to make sure they are not fighting their spiritual battles alone. For some valuable resources about marriage and sexuality, check the program notes. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out. <laughs>